Hey, everybody. I'm Lance Johnson. I'm one of the coaches here at Agency Hacker, and I'm here today with Scott Joseph. He's a founder and CEO of JNL Marketing and got a super interesting setup. I feel like it's very rare that I meet somebody else who's like, yeah, I cracked the passive agency code, but not only have you cracked that, you got dealerships, agency, and you're going to spin off something new like an event company. So welcome to the show, Scott. Lance, it is a pleasure being here. Thank you very much for having me. Man, so inquiring minds want to know, right? You've got a story. (laughs) Did you start the agency first? Did you start the dealerships first? Did you start events first? What's a little bit of your journey? Yeah, so, you know, I actually, my my father was very successful uh, general manager for a large dealer group in Cincinnati. And one time he went off on on what the auto industry calls a 20 group and I, I had been begging him forever to, to let me join him and sell and he wouldn't. So he went off on this business trip. I dropped out of school uh, <laughs> and, and started selling cars. So indirectly, I guess you could say I got onto the retail side first. Yeah. After a couple of years of that, I started J&L Marketing. So the agency oh, nice. came first. Uh, we built that up uh, to a very successful, uh, and back you know, in the 90s, the internet wasn't really around to where it was usable. Uh, so, you know, back then, um, it was all direct mail and email and some yeah. landing pages started to come in. So we did a lot of mar- direct marketing, direct response marketing for all auto dealers back then. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that led in the, uh, 2004, 2005 range to my first Honda dealership, which led to the second and third. Mm-hmm. And uh, now I've been doing these mastermind leadership retreat events with uh, Business Bourbon and Cigars. Nice. So yeah. this is really fascinating. You you say, hey, I've got this thing that I know how to do. It's called sell cars. And I think I could sell cars at scale through direct response, uh, which yeah. I'm actually really, really bullish on direct mail making a comeback. Even just like we've started using some of it in prospecting for enterprise clients. And it's an interesting channel. Um, how did the, how did you go from agency to dealership? Right. Because I don't, I think that everybody's looking at, at sometimes they say, well, I've got this agency running. It's not really worth it to sell it. Evidently you'd made it passive enough that you could own a dealership. And did you start the dealership? Did you buy the dealership? So the agency was doing very well. So because at that time, 95% of all our clients were automotive, I had a lot of connections in that industry, in that vertical. So yeah. uh, an opportunity came up. Uh, it was a silent bid opportunity. Uh, the previous owner had passed and uh, his brother had owned, and this is in Johnson City, Tennessee. His brother took okay. over the store. He didn't want to be involved in the retail side. Yep. He was just an investor. And so uh, he put it up for bid, five different people. We happened to be the top bid. So we got that store. And uh, it's now Johnson City Honda and took off from there. So, I mean, the dealerships have always been passive for me because I've got a managing partner and and through what we've built in the agency, I, I was exposed to a lot of good general managers and I yeah. it was easy to recognize who did it the right way. So I, I was fortunate in that sense to, to be able to bring someone on as a, a great partner. This might be a dumb question, but how has it compared owning a dealership with all the hassles, headaches, and, you know, potential upside to owning an agency, hassles, headaches, potential upside, right? All the headaches are the same. So, <laughs> you know, when I, when I talk to different, 
you know, even as I do these mastermind uh, events and some of our largest clients, uh, you know, they're, they're fortune 10 companies. So we all deal with similar challenges, building sales teams, marketing yep. better, communicating yep. the benefits of our product and service down to the end user. Uh, if we've got distributors, how do we get them communicating? The We all have the exact same. Ch- I've noticed, you know, h- how do we hire, retain, recruit, onboard the best talent? You know, how do we retain more of our clients? From vertical to vertical, while there might be little nuances, new little, you know, s- tweaks, pretty much all our challenges are the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And this is it's going to sound harsh, but I, I think a lot of people, though, they have a trouble making the jump, right, from owning one kind of business to another kind of business. Now, you went from one that you handled marketing very well and been very successful marketing, done retail sales very well, uh, and then it sounds like you made some good hires. What was it like thinking through that decision? So if there was an agency owner listening who said, you know, I'm an e-commerce agency. I think I might like to buy an e-commerce store. What was your process like to <laughs> not have your agency and the store fail, right? A lot of failure. The uh, And what I mean by that is, you know, when you own an agency and you're selling marketing services and advertising to, in, in my situation, car dealers, mm-hmm. you've always said, if I ever owned a dealership, I would make sure this gets done right, this gets done right, this gets done right, right? Um, and of course, never blame the marketing or the advertising. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and so I remember um, it wasn't as passive in the first six months, uh, not by design, just by me meddling and getting involved too much. I had a, I, like I've already mentioned, I had a very good managing partner yeah. and I used to, start off with recording all our leads, all the calls that would come in. And I would listen to those every single day. And I would forward him these horror stories of how we were handling leads. And I would like, and finally he goes, Scott, he goes, you got to quit sending me these recordings. He goes, (laughs) I find myself preaching instead of teaching. And so, you know, it was easy for me. I, I stepped out, um, and just, I stopped meddling and let the man do his, do what he's great at. And, and so for me, it was easy once I let loose of that control, but you know, when you first own something, I think you got to resist the urge of getting out of your lane a little. Honestly, Scott, I feel like that was the secret for getting my agency to run as well. Right. Where it's like, ah, I feel like I know something about this, but I had to leave for a year. I did mission work with my church and I didn't have internet. And I was like, well, the thing's got to run. And it ran better, right? It was more profitable when I left because we're ideas people, right? We like, I think your term meddling is more accurate. I would say like innovating, yeah. right? Or some euphemism yeah. that I think I'm going to improve stuff. But reality is if you have good people that you need to let them work their system. And, and that's the key. You know, we went through a really tough pivot at the agency with JNL. Mm-hmm. Uh, we went from all direct marketing, all direct response with mail and email and landing pages to in around 2011, shifting to paid media with paid search. And back yep. then it was just paid search display and some paid social. Yep. And 
old habits die hard. I had a lot of control on that company and I had promoted our, our current president to president and I meddled too much. And I used to think we've got to get all on the same page, meaning my page. Yeah. But the, rea- the reality was he was the true expert when it came to the digital side, not me. Mm. And as much as I felt I knew the product or what clients wanted, he was the one that was on the ground floor yeah. and talking with clients 20 times more, maybe even 50 times more per week yep. than I was. Yeah. And so it it took me a couple years um, to truly let that go. And if, if you listen to him, he'll tell you it probably took me closer to probably took me closer to seven or eight years to finally let that go. (laughs) But, but, uh, similar to your, your situation. Once I did that, I realized I'm the one rowing in the wrong direction. Yeah. You know, I, I'm the one that's holding this team back. I, we've got great people. And once I allowed him to, I took the handcuffs off of him, so to speak, and just let him do the thing. I mean, it's, it's exploded since. Yeah. It's, it's very humbling. And I think, I don't know where your stance is on this, but I think that some of us are very valuable at certain stages and we're really good at certain stages of a business where things are more hustle, more individual decisions. It's kind of more scrappy. And I don't feel like I'm a steady operator. I'm not very good at, Hey, we put this in place and we give it three months. It's not my forte, but that's what what is your, what would, what would you say is, I feel like the initial start, like, you know, if I'm sparking yeah. something and I'm going to say, all right, we're getting quick feedback. We're going to make quick decisions. Let's, let's like do a campaign, great campaign implementer. If you're going to say run the day to day of business, I just, I'm going to mess with too much stuff. Yeah. And I don't know well, if you're, you're in a similar boat. Yeah. I would say exact same. So you're a visionary. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And visionaries like the excitement of the new that's what makes us visionaries right i mean and so that's another challenge right when you get it's good and it's bad when you get in a step once things get up and rolling and it becomes established Hmm. one of the other challenges you have is especially if you don't have an integrator that um has the authority to shoot down your ideas yeah as a visionary every new idea sounds great to you and you can't understand and you want your company to figure out how to get it all done. And yep. you try to be something, you know, everything to everybody and you end up being nothing to know, you know, you, yeah. it's a, it's a recipe for disaster. So. Yeah. Not that my company ever experienced something like that, but it's like whiplash, right? Where I, yeah. uh, Monday I have one idea, Friday I have another idea. Correct. And- there's this weird thing. Every new idea is better than the last one. I don't know if that right. happens to you, but it it's just, yeah. It's <laughs> it definitely happen. happens. Definitely. And you, and you can never figure out why everyone else can't keep up with your speed and, and understand how great of an idea it is. I think <laughs> my only time that I slow down is when I have to implement all my ideas. When they're like, okay, yeah, yeah sure. Like, go ahead. You can work on that. That's when I go, maybe it wasn't that great of an idea anyway. Like, oh, but you know, let's just keep doing what we're doing. That's fine. <laughs> I had a conversation with our current president. Um, this is right before I finally realized, all right, I got to let this, I got to let him do his thing. I, and here's the dealerships helped me by the way, in that sense, mm-hmm. because I was able to go back and say, Scott, right now, the agency had always outperformed the dealerships by a large part. And that's saying something because the dealerships do well. 
But then there came a time when all of a sudden the dealerships were catching up and during this pivot, right? Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden the dealerships were outperforming and I was like, well, what's the biggest difference here? Well, the biggest difference (laughs) is I'm not doing anything. I'm not telling my managing partner what to do on the dealerships. And I said, if I can do that, if I can mentally get past that block with those businesses, why can't I do it here? Yeah. The reality was it was probably partially ego. Mm-hmm. Um, there was probably some um, just sentimental value because uh, the agency I had, I founded it, right? I started it from day one. So it was my baby and it was, it, I didn't want to let go, but the, but the dealerships helped me realize that it's okay to let that, let this go. You've got the right guy here. You know, yeah. he's, he, he owns it mentally as much, if not more than you, he takes just as much pride yeah. in it. So I thought that was a really shocking thing for me too, of like, wow, not only am I not that great at some of this, I'm not even the one who cares the most about it. Right. Yeah. Because I think some of it probably comes too from a financial stability and having a couple different investments. Right. I mean, so you, you have a little less skin in the game in some ways than some of the folks that this is still a really big part of their life. Right. And I, don't get me wrong. I wouldn't want my agency to stop, but you get, you get to a certain point that you're a little more diversified and it's not, you don't have the same hustle that if it's your only thing and it's the main thing that's supporting your family, you just care about it. You work with the people every day. You care about it in a different way that is kind of hard to admit because there's this cool. narrative around founders being the chief champion and the one who really loves the business. But yeah. Well, and it, the other thing that, ha- you know, I don't know how long your agency's been around. J and L has been around 31 years. Yeah. I've, and I've so, been alive 33. So not, not quite that long. <laughs> so you're a hell of an entrepreneur, entrepreneur starting at two, but <laughs> you know, it's really been two or three different businesses. The first yeah. 10 years, it was a certain type of business. The second yeah. 10 years, it offered a different type of product. And now it's, you know, 80% of everything is, is all the dig on the digital side. Yeah. You go through different, just like I probably was better in the startup phase and I was okay in that middle phase. I wasn't that good in the third, but the same employees and teammates that started off with us in the first 10, they're not there anymore. Yeah. And so, and, and you know what, what do I remember as a, a business owner? What's my fondest memories? It's not that the people I had then are better than the people that are there now. It's just that I started it with them, right? So I have all yeah. these. I always wanted to go back to that time frame, right? And mm. and um, you don't. Whereas our president, he has grown this company with this current team. They're yeah. they're tight knit, right? And, and yeah. so to the to exactly your point, I, I think that is so spot on. It's it's a wise. Uh, that is a uh, a very good way to say it. So one thing that it keeps coming up in my mind, and it's the biggest objection when I talk to people about this, right? It's how do you know you've got the right person? And it can, because you can have a lot of great people that you work with that just aren't the right person to be that integrator and to tackle it because they, they got to take ownership and be able to produce results. Right. And it's not, it's not an easy thing. So you've done it. You got three dealerships. One, Like you've done it four times. Um, what was your 
process or how did you know you got the right person? Because you can step back and things can blow up. So in the agency, we've got five core values. Mm -hmm. And so anytime I'm evaluating a person within the agency, and so we'll, we'll go right here with our president, right? He's got to check every one of those boxes in a big way on the core values. So the first one's passion. Mm -hmm. If you don't have a lot of passion, you can't mentally own something and put your all in it without a lot of passion. Mm -hmm. And so that part, that was a clear plus check for us. Was Um, that just from working with him that you saw that or was it? Correct. Oh, it was. Yeah. And it all goes together, right? He's the second one is innovation. So Mm -hmm. is he coming up with new ideas and new ideas aren't just about products. It's about our employees. It's about better processes. It's about, you know, everything that's involved in in a business, right? Uh, Is he, is he honest? Does he have high integrity? Mm -hmm. You know, that was a, a check. Does he deliver results? I could make the argument that he's our number one sales rep as well. In the sense that, you know, he is the top contributor when it comes to big major accounts. Uh, so yes. And, and then finally, does he have a winning attitude? You know, I want, so when you think about, if you can visualize this person, a passionate person, he's innovative, he delivers results. He has this winning attitude and he's honest. If you're checking all those boxes year after year after year, I mean, there's just so much trust built into it. And so it goes back to then why did it take me so long to allow this to flourish the way it should have sooner? Yep. Comes down to ego. Hmm. I can appreciate it. Just not wanting to let go. That's what I've done my whole life. And so. No, it's real. It's hard to have, look in the mirror and have that conversation sometimes. But I do feel like the flip side of it is, well, I think like God's got something else that he wants me to work on because there is the spot yes. that I can really offer something. And this doesn't mean I'm not a good person or a, but I had to take an honest look and say, am I a good day-to-day leader? And the answer is no. Right. I, I feel like good vision painter, good idea guy, not good consistent leader. Now that was with somebody, your president now for JNL, you all worked together for years and that was similar with our CEO, right? She started off in uh, editor role and worked her way up. And then her replacement was a sales role and worked her way up. How, how was it for the dealership since you all didn't work together? I'm guessing, it, was it something where you said, okay, we're going to get an equity oh. partner. So they have skin in the game. I'm just going to go with people that I, I've like seen do good things previously. How'd you approach it? A little bit of a combo. So definitely, we definitely, he's an equity partner. Um, I didn't want someone very strong and good being lured away. And I wanted yeah. him having skin in the game. I wanted him down there because he uprooted his family to go to the store. I wanted him to yeah. feel like, you know, if you go to that community, he's the face of that store. Yeah. Um, it's not me. And uh, he asked if I had worked with him indirectly. So he was a client. And he had he had worked at two or three different dealerships over a 10 to 15 year period. And I was able to see our marketing perform at a certain level before he'd get at a store. He'd come into that store, the same marketing, the same people, 
the same approach in terms of what from a marketing agency. And all of a sudden the results just skyrocket. All right. <laughs> it was the marketing and though. It was definitely the marketing. He, he'd leave. <laughs> it would re- the numbers would regress. He'd go to another store that we're working with and skyrocket again. So yeah. I knew it was him. Yeah. And so I had tremendous trust in his ability. Um, and we actually had worked together at, at a dealership before I started the agency. Wow. Um, so I knew him. There was a period of time for about probably 15 years where I did know with him and worked with him off and on and, and indirectly. So there was a relationship for him that, a lot, that made that easier. That makes a lot of sense too, because you had this data set, if you will, that was really clear. You can say, uh, because you read a resume, right? Let's say that tomorrow you got an agency owner listening. They have a $5 million a year agency and they say, I want to get a CEO tomorrow. And they put out job ads or they ping their network. And the hard thing is it's really easy to make a nice resume, but did they have a causal impact on the place they were at or did the place grow because it was the right time? They were at the right place at the right time. And I think teasing that out is really difficult without either direct work experience or some insight into their actual track record, not their resume. I'm curious if I can ask you something because you're an expert on scaling agencies and, and growing them. When that time comes, do you believe it's a better strategy for an agency to groom someone into that role internally? What works in your experience, what works better or going outside and getting the person with experience? That's a great question. I think, yeah, yeah, I studied engineering in school, so I got really good at saying it depends, right? (laughs) There's my lead off. It depends. Uh, If there's someone internal that you think they, you go, oh, they, maybe they have seven out of the 10 skills you think they need, right? Maybe it's not quite perfect, but they've got the values fit and you think they're reliable, right? If you don't think they're reliable, I think pushing someone internal in is just a recipe for disaster. So let's say you've got a visionary employee who you know doesn't do well without being pretty tightly managed. They're not going to be a great integrator. You know, call them your president, call them your integrator, call them your CEO, whatever you want to call them. They're not going to do that role very well. So I think sometimes, yeah, my first caveat is like, let's take off the rose-colored glasses and look at this person for um, what they're really great at and what they're really bad at. Because if we can't see that in somebody, I think we don't actually see the person in ourselves or somebody else. Um, but let's assume that you don't have that person. You're like, they, this person is a great sales rep. They're always going to be a great sales rep. They're going to close our major accounts, but we need somebody to hold them accountable or to help the day-to-day stuff run. Then I think that if you have a network, that helps a lot, right? Because essentially that's how you hired from the dealership as well, which was you say, I've got a network is a great way to say, uh, I think it's more like a database that you have information not easily available. And you know people, um, I had a direct response e-commerce background, and you see some guys that are, or gals that are launching products regularly and their copy consistently outperforms on the same traffic source. You go, huh, maybe they're a better copywriter. And, and you have some people that they worked at a company that has an amazing media buyer, but the media buyer is developing a creative that is making the offer work. It's not actually the copy. And so I think right. networking isn't so much about like knowing people who have a good story, but knowing what the story behind the story is. And so if, if you can hire, yeah, you can't hire internally because you have the most information on an internal thing. 
if you can't do that, then hopefully you have a network where you can look at it and say, all right, here is someone that I know has made tangible results, or at least I know the people who they got results for, or supposedly got results for. And sometimes you have a conversation and go, yeah, they, they worked really hard. They put in a lot of effort, great attitude, not the CEO, not the president. Right. Um, and then the last option is, it, this one might be a little controversial, but I think it's to go fractional. That it's it's actually um, that was how I started with a CEO because we just we didn't have a big enough company, but I had to I had to find somebody. So there was somebody who wasn't a perfect fit for the role, but they had the consistency, they had um, the ability to do management, and so we went fractional. And you say, okay, yeah. well, it, it's kind of an unorthodox way to do it. We usually think binary terms like ah, I got to hire a CEO or I don't. But we said, well, the salespeople can do well, but they're not ready to manage. And the production team runs itself pretty well, but they're not ready to manage. So can we put somebody fractional in the seat that's 25K a year, 50K a year, that's an easier pill to swallow? Maybe they work great and you say, I want to make them a profit share partner and or I want to make them an equity partner. Maybe they don't work at all and you didn't put so much out. Um, so it's it's a longer thing, but I think it can work better than just let's hop on Indeed, put out some applications. And I'm not saying it couldn't work, but it's just... A riskier bet. Anybody that's elevated to that position has probably been involved in sales or persuading people at some point. And there's just a lot of, it's a just, for me, it was, it's just always turned out to be a riskier thing going outside. Um, Just so much smoke and mirrors, you know? (laughs) So it's, I'm with you. Interviewing the B2B sale. Yeah. Well, first off, I don't know. I don't think there's a lot of, there's a lot of programs out there teaching people how to hire, teaching people how to recruit people, teaching people how to interview. I don't know a great interviewer. The, the, uh, we, we can all ask the right questions, uh, but we all make hiring mistakes at times. Uh, and, and the key is minimizing, especially the really key positions. Yeah. 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 I and this is going to sound awful and maybe a little depressing, but I actually just think that you don't know. It's kind of like optimizing for a campaign, right? It, you can run like say digital, like I, I like Facebook ad traffic, and you can like run a creative on a traffic objective, and you say this is my winning creative, this is going to do great. But all it tells you is you got a creative that gets a lot of clicks, right? That's yeah. what won. You go to conversion objective, maybe maybe you got a terrible ROI with it. Because we, you, op, you get the thing you optimize for. And I think interviewing gets you people that interview well. I'm not saying yeah. that you ditch the interview, point. you interview. But I, for any key position, I'm just like, whether I call it a probationary period or not, I go every position, the, the proof of the pudding's in the eating, right? Like you, you gotta try the thing out. And w- they need to try out the role. I just think there's no way That's to right. know so I, we we do like test projects where it starts off and we say, okay, let's do uh, first, it's a one-dayer. Let's see if we even like working together. And you'll find stuff that comes up where you're like, man, I thought for sure that person knew how to use Google Apps or it's like stupid, simple stuff. Yeah. But, but you're like, man, I'm glad we figured that out before we send them an offer letter. You spend a couple hundred bucks and you're done. Um, yep. And then the, you know, the first two weeks, you see a lot of stuff. I think there's this, this curve of... Uh, you, you get the most information earliest. So, you know, first day gives you a lot of information. First week gives you a lot more first month and first year. You got a pretty good idea. Is this person a oh, fit yeah. or not? Um, I, I, 
you yeah. can probably tell within the first 90 days if if I someone's going to make it because especially for at least for me the first 90 days is what's so important is really the behaviors and the virtue the things i can't necessarily teach you know and i go yeah. back to those core values right yeah are they are they quick to want to bring on new stuff and and even when they're given a task or a project to accomplish and maybe not a lot of direction on how to yeah. get it done. Do they figure it out on their own? And yeah. do they, you know, do, do they do what's necessary to get the job done and, and do it in a good way? Yeah, so. I, I agree completely. And I think that the problem as well with an interview is, yeah, if you, you go to our website, you look at our core values, you go, well, I've interviewed before. There's going to be a core values question. I'm ready for the core values question, but <laughs> but there's a, just a difference between like, does this person actually live it? And, and there's core values. I think the, the, yeah, there's some like honesty, right? Where if somebody's not honest, they're not going to succeed anywhere except for maybe wall street. Just kidding. Yeah. Sorry, wall street people. <laughs> or um, politics. Yeah. politics. What <laughs> do I have a career for you? But, it, but there's other ones that I think are really particular that someone could be a great person and a great worker and a great fit somewhere, but not a great fit for your company for like and those right. are the ones that i think that really get unearthed because they are a good candidate their references say they're wonderful and they come in yeah we thought it was salespeople. we hire people that are great at retail and they go to a complex six to 12 month sale and they they flounder not not because That's they're correct. bad they can go back and be six-figure earners in retail uh, you know and and not that's why we like to pay attention to the behaviors and the virtues because Sometimes you hire for one position and you realize after a couple months, you know what? This person be, there's a, we have a better seat for this person over here. Yeah. Uh, it's not always an easy conversation, but when it's the right fit, it is an easy conversation when it's the right fit, because I think the person, the employee recognizes it as well. You know, we've yeah. hired someone for sales. Uh, she came in and came in with the right attitude and all this, but you know, when we put her through the digital marketing training, so she'd understand the product. I mean, she seemed to understand the product better than a lot of our analysts that we <laughs> hired at the same time, or yep. the, the people we hired to be analysts. Yep. And so after a couple months, and whether it's just, you know, getting a little um, hesitant to make calls or hesitant to ask for the sale or whatever it might be that, that keeps people from being super successful in sales, uh, we offered that seat and she has just torn it up. I mean, she's phenomenal as a digital analyst for us. So, and she, and the beautiful part is our, you know, our analysts talk directly with our clients. So, um, she still needs all those, a lot of those same skills that she was taught in sales, but she doesn't have the pressure of asking for the sale. She doesn't have the, she can yeah. just talk to what she's naturally feels comfortable with. And, and she's done great. And it's so interesting you mentioned that, Scott, because it makes me think of what we were talking about with you or I being the bottleneck, right? It's yeah. the same process of looking at ourselves and saying, hey, I'm not the wrong person. I'm just in the wrong seat. There's a better seat for me somewhere. And I think that kind of grace, if we can extend it to our employees, oftentimes we can extend it to ourselves a little bit easier. Yeah. No, my, my seat was I need to get out of there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, yeah, some of us just need to pull the ripcord and uh, eject, like eject. Well, yeah, this is this is a really fascinating one because you've got really you've succeeded at some major things. You did you mention real estate as well that you 
Um, I've got, yeah, we've, I've, well, all the dealerships, obviously we own the real estate there. So I've got real mm-hmm. estate, uh, I've got a real estate, uh, investments there, uh, some multifamily stuff around the different things around the country as well. Yeah. So if you were going to, you get to rewind the clock a little bit, right? You, you've gotten your agency running and you're sitting back in that same seat and you're trying to figure out the right way to invest. Because in my experience, agencies are, are often quite good for cash flow, but they're bad for mm-hmm. exit multiples, right? They're just, yeah, it doesn't make sense a lot of times. Like if you can replace yourself, I think that it just makes way more financial sense as an owner and you get to keep the upside and all that jazz. How did you approach the investment? Because at the time, I don't know, you know how it compared or if it was a big investment or a little investment, but how did you approach that? If my, if I could relive the last 30 de- years, I would do things drastically different. I still would have went forward with the dealerships. Yeah. Uh, the agency side, I would have learned, I could have shortened that pivot up by at least 50 to a hundred percent, but cause you're right. It spins off good cash once it gets rolling. And so in those first 10 years, you know, this is what 20, let's just, you know, 20 to 25 years ago, if I had invested that money in multifamily stuff in, in, in real estate, think about that 25 years ago, all those properties would have been paid off. They would have all cash flowed. Other people would have bought them for me. I would have done the intelligent thing and refinanced all of those several times, pulled out the equity and just kept investing it in other properties, had all the depreciation and tax benefits that come with it, making money without having to do anything because I would have had a management company doing it for me. Yep. So I have a son who's in his mid twenties. And I am, what I am doing is making sure that he does not repeat the same mistakes that I made in those situ in, in a similar situation. I, to me, if you're in your twenties and you have the ability to start investing in hard assets like that, that cash flow, you need to do it. And the younger, the better. This is a little tangent from our normal show, but this is really interesting stuff. And I think it doesn't get talked about enough. So today in like today's market, right? You can easily be an LP and on a syndicated deal, right? You can say my wife and I've done a little bit of that. How do you look at multifamily yourself? Do you say, Hey, I want to be the sole owner. Do you want to get in syndicated deals and reinvest or what's a little bit of your approach? I'd be open to anything that makes sense financially. Yeah. So I've, I've got a mix of both where I'm an, an investor in some of these and I have another one where I'm, you know, I own the whole thing. So uh, I think it just wherever the opportunity, listen, everyone's looking for those opportunities. Yeah. So yeah. it's probably good to be flexible and open to, to attacking that multiple ways. I will go back to, to getting us back on the agency thing. There is something from an investment thing I would have done drastically different. When we did that pivot, it was very difficult for our sales team to go from an instant sale, talking to this one guy who's used to making a decision like that for ten to $15,000 for some type of direct mail program, yep. to digital marketing where they didn't fully understand it. They probably had someone in their company that helped influence their decision that they relied on. Yep. And for whatever reason, may have cost them less per month, but still- took longer for them to be convinced and or make the decision and pull that because they don't want to keep switching digital agencies. Yeah. It's not a one-off. Yep. If I had to start this over, 
when I decided to do the pivot, I would have either separated the companies instead of thinking my brand for my direct marketing agency was so strong. I would have either kept it separate and or sold that yep. or let it be, spin it off as its own thing. And I would have started the digital agency completely separate. And the reason I would have done that is because for one, none of my salespeople back then were able to make the jump, whether that's their fault or mine. I was unable to convert them into learning the digital side. Yep. That process of building that digital agency would have happened much cleaner and faster if I had just had it focused on this is what we do yep. and this is what we're going to go after. That and is, I, I would have yeah. been able to sell, even if I didn't get the multiple, like what you're saying, right? On the on the direct market, that's yep. still better than taking it down and then having to build it back up. I still would have got something. Yeah. <laughs> From it. No, man, I think you're so right on that too, because I feel like I've thought about this with our agency and, and this is part of the reason why I started, I don't know if your mastermind similar, but started saying we're going to do agency courses and consulting because the problem is if you bring something new, the way we've seen it look is either it cannibalizes the existing thing. Like let's say that it's, yeah. they're both good. Then a salesperson is going to sell the thing that gets them the most compensation, which is logical, right? That's what we want them to do. But if you have, uh, yeah, if you have something that's selling really well, and your other thing's still profitable, you go, well, hey, sell both. They just don't. In my experience, at least, if even if they can, you're 100 percent right. And, and so then you might have right you, here. You got a great three million dollar arm that now goes to zero because nobody nobody can focus on two things like that, right? Correct. And yep. unless it's an add-on service that makes sense with every sale, what's going to happen is they're going to pitch their one that they know they do well with. And yep. yeah, I, I just think it's really hard they gravitate to gravitate to their, what they're comfortable with. Yeah. Yeah. It's, so you're a hundred percent. This is so spot on. So if I, if I only focused on your question, is it related to the agency? That's the one investment change I would, I wouldn't even have to think twice about it. I would have sold yeah. the other and just started the yep. digital. Yeah. That, and I, I'm with you on the pivot. It just, it is really difficult to get an existing team. I think this is again, where the place where you're probably strong is, Hey, you see that future, you see, there's no future over here or there's not the future you want. So we need to jump on this new thing. And I, yeah, I got to tell you, if we had not made that pivot, all right. And, and gone into full digital when COVID hit, because we were selling direct mail sale events. Oh yeah. You couldn't, none of these dealers, none of these retailers could invite people into stores during COVID. Yeah. I had to refund money left and right for these events. If we had not yeah. had the digital arm up and running and the reoccurring revenue that comes from that, um, no one canceled the digital. Everyone yeah. canceled the direct marketing. So, you know, COVID exaggerated it. Um, and COVID was a big help for us in the sense that everyone quickly realized, all right, all our attention needs to go here. And, and wow. And in three years, we've done so much more in these last three years than the three years prior. And it's all been focus. Yeah. Honestly, that's been a theme. Yeah. You know, I talked to a lot of agency owners in the common theme. You can hear people that are at a, a initial phase where they're not quite sure what they should be focusing on yet. They quite, they haven't found like the match of what they're good at, what they like doing, what the market wants. Right. Yeah. But then there's this weird phase where they know that they're not doing the thing that is really what the market needs or what their company's really good at, but it, it's what they used to do. 
And that jump seems to be one of the hardest ones. And it's almost like you need some shock to the system. And yeah, I don't, I feel like that's probably one of the biggest things we do with our courses is just, it's, it's a shock to the system where you say, Hey, come do this thing. Could you have done it by yourself? Probably. But sometimes we just need a shock to the system to say, yeah, I'm going to do this differently. Yeah, uh, man. Well, what kind of, I, we've, this has been a really fun episode. I just, I, I think the uh, listeners are going to enjoy it, but what kind of, yeah, parting advice would you give? And it's not necessarily, I think a lot of times when people hear advice, they go to a, a beginning agency owner, right? But what kinds of things that you, know, you wish someone had told you during your journey, not so much starting your journey? You know, I, we've all heard the thing where, you know, time is more valuable than money. And I agree with that. But the thing that may, is more valuable than time is focus. Mm. And so especially today, when it's so easy to get distracted by the next shiny thing, uh, social media is so important to bring attention to your agency. It's yeah. easy to get distracted and start surfing on that. Well, who's commenting? Who's I got to respond yeah. to this person. I got to respond to that. Yeah. You have to, you can't start your day worrying about your social media channels. You have to focus on the things that are going to have the biggest impact on driving the needle forward. You still have to make time for the social, in my opinion. Yep. But it can't be the starting, you, you can't allow it to distract you. And to me, the folk, what you focus on, the, the big projects, all right, the things that are going to truly move the needle and have the biggest impact on moving those needles, that is where your focus has to be. And do not allow yourself to get distracted from anything else. Yeah, it's and that goes for me. Mind. That's the beginning or an exist, you know, a mature agency. It doesn't matter. Yeah, that's. I was just, I was like, man, that one's speaking directly to me. Where it's, uh, it's very difficult, right? I think, especially for the kind of person who will start an agency. And this is one of those, like, the upside. If I think that if you can see a weakness, then the opposite of it's usually your strength. You're usually like strong in some complement, right? And I think yeah. that. The ability to have vision, have ideas, and get started is a major weakness for follow through. And oh yeah, <laughs> but it's critical, right? It's just so critical. So, man, Scott, this has been great to have you on. I I really appreciate you taking the time. It's been a fun conversation, and I think gives people a vision of some ways they could take their agency. Um, yeah, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it, Lance. It's been a true pleasure. Thank you very much. And if people want to learn more about your mastermind or they want to get in touch with the agency, what are the best ways to reach out to you? Yeah, the, the best way is to go to jandlmarketing.com, uh, j-a-n-d-l-marketing.com. And if you go under our events, our you know our one of our mastermind events there is, is on one of the links there with business, bourbon, and cigars. The easiest way to reach out about all this stuff, though, is you, you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, and of course, all these things link from there. So if you find me on LinkedIn or Instagram or Facebook, um, I reply, I'm actually better at replying, uh, to private messaging on any one of those channels than I probably am my email. So, uh, <laughs> so, uh, reach out to me and, and I can help. I'll help anybody I can. Well, Scott, real joy to have you on. And for any listeners, if you are an agency owner who should come on the show, or you know, an agency owner that should be on the show, send them to agencyhacker.io. And uh, there's a little link that says, come on the show. You can um, also learn more about courses or mastermind if you're interested. But 
really just thrilled to have you, Scott. Thanks again for coming on. Thank you, Lance. Appreciate it.